Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is one of our Weekly Standard friends and research fellow at the Hoover Institution, Adam White. And Adam, uh, two rulings from the Supreme Court today that have uh, caught everyone's attention. We're going to talk at length in a moment about the uh, ruling regarding University of Texas and its affirmative action policy. Let's start with the 4-4 tie on President Obama's, I love how the media calls it, Adam, his immigration plan. No, his immigration legislation that he couldn't get passed but decided to implement anyway. Well, it's it's actually one of the bills that one of President Trump's judges signed into law. So it's, <laughs> but that's right. The most closely watched case of the year, perhaps, uh, the, the challenge, Texas's challenge uh, to President Obama's uh, policy of not enforcing the immigration laws. Maybe the biggest uh, separation of power in the constitutional case, in, well, certainly of the year and arguably in, in, of recent years. Uh, everybody was looking to see what the Supreme Court would say about this. And what did the Supreme Court say? Well, I know you're a country music fan, uh, so you must like the Keith Whitley song, uh, You Say It Best When You Say Nothing At All. <laughs> That's basically uh, what the Supreme Court did today. Uh, they issued a one-page, one-sentence uh, order. It says uh, the judgment is affirmed by an equally divided court. What that means is there was a 4-4 split among the eight justices. Uh, they were deadlocked, and so the court makes no decision at all. And the lower court decision, uh, keeping, uh, setting a freeze on the president's policy, uh, that remains in effect. Uh, but what, what was the argument well, there were three arguments. Uh, so the administration lost in the courts below. The lower courts had issued a preliminary injunction blocking the president from not enforcing the immigration laws uh, because uh, the lower courts found that the president had a likelihood of that he would lose on the merits of the case. And so while the appeals were pending, everything was just stayed in place. Uh, it gets up to the Supreme Court, and there are a few arguments. The government argued that the states didn't have standing to litigate this case at all. Uh, the the government challenged the lower court's findings uh, that the uh, that the administration's policy violated basic principles of administrative law in terms of having to go through notice and comment proceedings, getting public input before imposing this sort of regulatory policy. And then last, and very interestingly, uh, the Supreme Court asked the parties to brief the issue of whether the president was violating uh, his constitutional obligation to take care that the laws of the United States be faithfully executed. And we don't know where the justice has settled on any of those issues, uh, because there's literally no opinion at all. In fact, we don't even know on the face of this order which of the uh, eight voting justices voted which ways on which issues. They don't even release that information. Now, one could take a basic guess that uh, this deadlock reflects a 4-4 split between uh, Ginsburg Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan on the left, uh, and Thomas, Kennedy, Roberts, and Alito on the right. Okay, Adam White, maybe in your legal beagle circles where you guys get together and, uh, you know, buy each other lunch off of your clients' bills, you have to say guess. But the fact is that we out here in normal world know how the court split. And doesn't that undermine the authority of the Supreme Court that we pretty much know how virtually everybody is going to vote on these issues before the uh, vote cast and that all this really is is not a court it's basically a third branch of whatever party can you know win the white house at the right time to control the votes well it's true the current assortment of justices does break down into pretty clear ideological lines and in most cases it's pretty predictable now so so why have a supreme court why not just have a political plebiscite 
you know. Well, some some would say we already have that. Um, <laughs> good point. Good point. And, and 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 to be fair, sometimes justices do cross lines in interesting ways. But and, and you know, in the vast majority of cases, you get some interesting splits, or you get uh, often unanimity. But you're right, and it's it's there's no way around it that in the most controversial of cases, there are very few surprises. And unfortunately for us, when there are surprises, they're usually surprises in the wrong direction. Well, usually it's um, uh, Judge Roberts being bullied by uh, President Obama and you know, convinced that uh, he needs to be on the, quote, right side of history. So Justice Ginsburg was very candid in, in, in an interview a year or two ago when she said that the four liberal justices were becoming much more strategic in terms of speaking in a single voice to maximize the political impact of their dissents. And uh, I, I think that was an unfortunate statement on her part, but it certainly was candid. Yeah, unfortunate in the sense of that it was unfortunately true and accurate. So we don't like that. So uh, now let's talk about the uh, overturning of the, excuse me, the the uh, affirming of the uh, the affirmative action policy at the University of Texas. Basically, overturning a previous ruling by this court. That's how it looks to me. Adam White, you're the expert. You tell us. Well, that's certainly how it looks. Uh, at the very least, the court seems to have walked away from its previous decision in this case. This was a challenge to the University of Texas's affirmative action policy. As I understand it, the University of Texas has basically a, two tracks of admitting students. They have what they call the 10% plan, where the top 10, really the top 7 or 8% of students from all their public high schools get admitted automatically into the university. And then the remaining seats for the freshman class, which I guess is about 25% of the incoming class, gets doled out in accordance with uh, academics and what they call a personal achievement index, which has to do with, a, they say, a vast array of socioeconomic and demographic and personal biographical information. But it's pretty clear that it's mostly dominated by race. Um, now, that was challenged a few years ago. It went up to the Supreme Court. Well, what the Supreme Court said there was, we need to clarify the test that's going to be applied. And in that case, what's called Fisher 1, today's case is Fisher 2, the Supreme Court set out three very strict-sounding standards that Texas was going to have to satisfy in order to pass constitutional muster. Um, I can get go through those in a second. But the point is, the Supreme Court made some very stern sounds when the case was first heard uh, back in 2013. It went down to the lower court again, and the lower federal court said that Texas just simply failed to satisfy the test the Supreme Court set. It came back up to the Supreme Court, and in an opinion today, and I'm still making my way through it. I mean, these were only just issued an hour or two ago. Um, the Supreme Court said that they were applying this strict test, but really it's impossible to say that with a straight face. The Supreme Court basically walked away from its last decision deferred overwhelmingly to Texas's assertions about the need for this program in terms of diversity and so on, and affirmed this policy. And they closed with some strict-sounding language about Texas's need to continue to evaluate and monitor the performance of this uh, program to make sure that it really is achieving the benefits of diversity. But I don't think anybody will take that very seriously, most, or least of all, uh, the university itself. So what did the dissenters have to say? Well, the dissenters and the lead dissent was written by Justice Alito. He was joined by Justice Thomas and Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts. And by the way, this was a, actually a 4-3 decision. In addition to the absence of the late Justice Scalia, Justice Kagan recused from this case given her past role in the Justice Department. Um, Justice Alito pointed to the factors that the court had set out in Fisher 1, um, that the university may not consider race unless the admissions process can withstand what's called strict scrutiny, which is the most rigorous and tight of the Supreme Court standards of review. 
And he said, second, the, uh, the decision to pursue the educational benefits that flow from student body diversity uh, is something to which the court will defer a little bit to the, to the, the school, but not completely. And then third, and most importantly, um, the third standard is when the court is reviewing the school's program, the, school, the, the court won't defer to the school's judgment of whether the program is actually achieving the benefits of, uh, of, of diversity. And Justice Alito's dissent is just absolutely withering. He begins by saying that the court's decision today is, quote, nothing less than the, uh, the plea for deference that we emphatically rejected in our prior, in our prior decision. Um, he says that this is nothing more than a simple racial census. And he says that this case actually flips affirmative action on its head. One of the real complaints about the Texas program is that the 10% rule allows in a lot of poorer minority students, mainly the best students from the poorest schools, but that does nothing to help uh, the more affluent or uh, less, uh, you know, the, the basically the more affluent minorities. And so Justice Alito says that this entire argument flips affirmative action on its head. He says, now we're told that this is inadequate because we need to do more to advantage the more fortunate minorities. He says, this is affirmative action gone wild. So his decision is very, is just scathing. And Justice Thomas, while he joins this dissent in full, he does have a simple two-paragraph statement where he, re- he reiterates his longstanding disagreement with the Supreme Court's affirmative action case law, which he thinks just flies in the face of equal protection under the law, under the 14th Amendment. He says the court's decision today is irreconcilable with strict scrutiny, and it rests on pernicious assumptions about race and departs from many of our precedents. So the strongest word in this case comes from Justice Thomas himself, but Justice Alito's dissent for Thomas and Roberts is is very scathing as well. Uh, But the arguments and the scathingness don't matter as long as you've got more votes than the other guys, and that's what the Supreme Court has reduced itself down to. One last question for you. What should court watchers keep an eye on now in the next few weeks and months? Is there anything else that you are particularly interested in? Well, there's an abortion case still on the docket um, that will probably be decided next week. There are a number of cases that came out today. I think there were five decisions in total. I think one was a search and seizure case. Again, these just came out about an hour hour or two ago, and I haven't gotten a chance to review them all closely. But these two really were probably the biggest cases of the year, the affirmative action decision and um, and, and the, the Texas challenge to President Obama's immigration policy. Um, I the It wasn't a great surprise that the court was deadlocked on immigration. It would have been nice, I think, to get some... You know, it would have been nice in many respects to have gotten opinions from the court, even in the absence of a decision. Um, With respect to the affirmative action case, in past cases, Justice Kennedy had made noises about becoming stricter on affirmative action. We all remember Justice O'Connor's famous line from 2003 that affirmative action would probably last 20 more years and and no more. This really does sort of close the book on, on taking that line seriously. It reflects a shift in Justice Kennedy's approach, and I think it is pr- pretty demoralizing for those who, those those of us who thought that that this might be settled in the courts. It's really clear now that affirmative action in education, except in the most egregious of cases, is one of those things that's going to be, have to be settled politically, as it was uh, in the state of Michigan. Uh, and we, uh, when we need something settled, <clears throat> let me try that again. 
And when we need something settled about what the Supreme Court is up to, we always come to our good friend Adam White, research fellow at the Hoover Institution and a frequent contributor to the Weekly Standard. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Michael. Unlike the court today, I always have something to say. <laughs> You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.